All right, welcome to podcast number three. This is Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strugel. I'm a professor of communication at Hiram College. With me as usual, Andrew White, professor of psychology and the coordinator of the sport management program at Hiram College. Andrew, where are you right now? I am at home. Just hold up in a bedroom at home trying to make a little home office out of it. Sounds good. Well, podcast number three, and again, we kind of look at the issues inside the athlete's mind. What are some things that athletes face? A couple good current event articles I just saw a couple days ago. Let's start with the first one. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who is the Vanderbilt head basketball coach, said on an ESPN podcast that he wishes he never played with Michael Jordan during the 2002-2003 season with the Washington Wizards, which was Jordan's last season. Stackhouse said he felt he was a better player at that point, and he said the offense was run through Michael Jordan. The Wizards at that time were coached by Doug Collins, who was, of course, Jordan's head coach in Chicago. So my question for you, Andrew, is um, how do you handle, if you're an athlete, how do you handle perceived favoritism by a coach? (laughs) This is definitely a different example when you have one of the greatest players of all time on your team, but... Yeah. Kind of talk through the issues going through this particular situation. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it for this particular case. When one of the people is Michael Jordan, it, it changes everything. Um, but in general, if this were a different situation, that's a big challenge and not to say that the Stackhouse Jordan situation wasn't a challenge for both of them and for the coach, but everyone has a specific role to fulfill. And in this situation, it feels like the athletes probably feel like the coach isn't fulfilling their role. And, you know, you would hope that everyone has the team's best interest in a team. It's not just the players, it's the players and the coach. So you want to have that, those best interests in mind and uh yeah this is just an incredibly difficult situation because you want to have a conversation with the coach about the situation uh, about why you feel like you should be playing uh but when when a player approaches a coach with that that uh that's really showing that they may not be bought in with what's going on with the team at the moment so they aren't happy with their role they aren't happy with what's going on with the team so all of a sudden then that can change their relationship with the coach. So this is just a messy, messy situation. (laughs) Interesting thing, Stackhouse, he went on to say on this podcast that he also believed Collins because he was running the offense through Jordan. This was kind of like a makeup for some hard times that happened uh, in Chicago. Uh, In your mind, because you, of course, fulfill several different roles, one of those being an assistant coach on the women's basketball team at Hiram, and you've been in sports for a long time, is this unheard of? Is this something you think happens quite often in terms of, hey, I'm going going to do you a favor. We, you know, hey, I'll, I'll get you the ball. I'll get you a few more touches here because of, hey, just this smooth over the past. Is is this unusual in coaching? Yeah, I wouldn't say I've seen that at the collegiate level, and that makes sense because you know the time frames are just different. You may be with an athlete for four years, and you know, there may not be an opportunity for 
this particular situation. In pros, yeah, I mean, you, you see that a little bit more where maybe they're trying to right some wrong of the past or they seem to have favorite players for whatever reason. Uh, and you don't always know what those reasons are. Maybe statistically that person doesn't produce too well, but they're some sort of stabilizing force or they trust them in the clutch. It's hard to know exactly what's going on with a coach's decision-making process unless you've had that conversation or you're behind the scenes in some of that. So as the athlete, it almost just comes down to trusting that they are doing their job and their job is to try to win games. And your job is to trust the coach and uh, do what you can in your role to help the team. If you feel like your role is not being capitalized or your abilities aren't being fully used, then that's a conversation you can have with the coach and you know, try to find the right time to have that conversation as well. Middle of the season may not be the best time. Uh, NBA is a little different. Their season is so long. Uh, it, it's, it's a delicate balance. And with the Doug Collins situation, Jerry Stackhouse may have had a point. I mean, Jordan was still producing pretty well in those final couple of years in Washington. But if Stackhouse thought he was the better player at that time, I mean, the Wizards were, what, 37 and 45, something like that, both of those years, uh, it's not like they were killing it. So maybe a change in their structure might have been good. That's a good transition. So let me put you in the head coach's seat. You've replaced Doug Collins. Oh, great. <laughs> How do you have the conversation with one of the greatest of all time? And you say, hey, Michael, we need to chat. We need to chat. Uh, you're clearly past your prime, even though you still can produce. But hey, we've got this guy on the staff. We got this guy on the team, Jerry Stackhouse, averaging 22 points a game. Hey, let's try something different. How do you have that conversation with a legend? Yeah. Uh, so I would probably have that conversation as a big picture conversation. So. You're not going to be playing your whole life. So what's next? Where do you see yourself going from here? What sort of, um, not necessarily playing legacy can you have, but what sort of legacy as a basketball person, as a basketball mind, as an impact do you want to have? Clearly, he's made that impact as a player. What do you see for your future? You're not going to be playing at 50 or 60. And... And clearly now he's a, an owner of a team, so maybe you could have had that transitional talk with him about what about mentoring players? What about uh, maybe you don't play as many minutes every night? Maybe we don't run it through you too much, but you can show someone else the ropes. You can help develop the next Michael Jordan or whoever, whatever example you want to give. Uh, try to ease him into that role, and it almost becomes more of a, a peer mentor, almost like a coach type of role. But he still can get out on the court and contribute a little bit on the court as well. Kind of answer my next question. I was going to kind of flip it a little bit and say, if you're Jordan and maybe you have some ego, how do you handle that and say, okay, yeah, I admit, not the Michael Jordan I was in Chicago. Uh, that's obviously a tough discussion to have or a tough reality check to think about is, hey, you know, Maybe it is time for me to move on. And a lot of athletes have an issue with that or have a hard time accepting that, hey, their their prime is past. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> career endings are tough. And it doesn't matter if it's 
I mean, obviously Michael Jordan's a different situation, but it doesn't matter if it's in the pros or even in college and your career's ending because of an injury or just because you're not going to go play on in the pros. It's hard to lose that piece of you. So part of what's important is identifying what sort of values were important. What was driving you in sport? And often we see that those values exist in other areas as well. So uh, it gave you an opportunity to show that you're a fierce competitor and you can push yourself past what you thought were your limits. Okay, well, how do we apply that to a future career that you might be interested in or uh, your role as a husband or a father? And you can tap into those same driving forces in other areas. Yeah, and I think we saw Kobe Bryant do that post-retirement and you know, he seemed to be even more driven as a family man and a business guy. Absolutely. Yeah, this is Inside the Athlete's Mind with Andrew White, and I am David Strugel. Let's move on to another current event. So I saw on the same day as the Stackhouse Jordan story, Lakers, on uh, trying to stay in shape, are doing workouts via Zoom. And this is their general manager, Rob Palenka, said in the conference call that the Lakers are remaining close while social distancing, and they do Zoom workouts. So you, you're obviously on the team and individual type stuff, Andrew. And so what, what are some challenges that virtual workouts for a team pose? Obviously, they can't get together, but can virtual workouts be as effective because they're not together for a team? Huh, yeah. <laughs> um, as effective? I, I don't know. This this is probably going to be one that falls into the category of it depends. So it depends on the people. It depends on the how cohesive that group is. If there there's enough of togetherness that you know, we don't have to be next to each other to push each other. Uh, I would certainly prefer everyone to be person to person and uh, kind of face to face interactions for these workouts. But that's not where we are right now. So it's better than nothing. Uh, it certainly challenges. Well, who knows how the connectivity is going to be at any point in time. Maybe uh, the system gets bogged down and one person's uh, lagging and you think they're not actually working out, but they are, but their video is frozen or anything like that. Just technology issues could pose a problem. Yeah, I I didn't see much more depth into into the uh, details about these Zoom workouts. Like, I'm sure LeBron is probably doing something. Um, something along those lines. I mean, the biggest thing I'm seeing on Twitter, things about workouts, a lot of burpee challenges in three minutes. <laughs> These kinds of things are going viral, but I'm not. I haven't seen a whole lot about what teams are doing in terms of virtual workouts. So it's definitely a weird situation. Uh, I, yeah. I, obviously, you can't run offensive sets or drills in Zoom. <laughs> right. Yep. And uh, I mean, you could. You could do some screen sharing. You could draw things up kind of like a whiteboard, but Mm -hmm. you wouldn't really be able to walk through it. And that's where some of the mental skills come through. So you could draw it up on the whiteboard and then everyone kind of imagine the team running through this, imagine some defense and you're trying to exploit weaknesses in the defense. So mental skills are huge at this point. Indeed. Uh, One of the things with workouts, my wife was actually reading something about Steph Curry and, and the article said that he didn't even have a hoop at home. And that kind of, to me, spoke to having these boundaries in your life. And at home, that's not where he's practicing. That's not where he's putting in work for basketball. That's home time. But now all time is home time. So you have to find 
the time within your time at home with family to actually put in your work as well. So he had to buy a basketball hoop to start working out at home. So he didn't have that separation. And that's going to be an interesting challenge for everyone now too. LeBron's no exception to that. How is he going to balance being at home, but also putting in the work for basketball? Uh, it's an interesting challenge. That That's a great point. Now that everyone is at home and working from home, the work-life balance thing kind of comes into play here is we all kind of right. juggle meals, work, kids, pets, what have you. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, so I saw something in the paper today as well that the Ohio High School Athletic Association is possibly revising their spring timetable for sports and also – you know, we've you being an assistant coach in basketball as well. The NCAA is extending uh, eligibility for athletes for another year. Um, I'm just trying to think of all the possible situations and problems that could arise. I mean, good for the athletes that can come back for another year, but if you've recruited others to come on the campus and say, "Hey, you know, you could see some time this fall or spring or what have you," I, there's just seems like I love the idea on paper. It looks great, but I'm just trying to figure out what are all the possible contingencies of issues that could happen. Yeah, so many. And I I don't know if they've ironed down all the details yet. I can't imagine they have, but you're 100% right. We've already got a recruiting class coming in, and so what do we do if all of a sudden seniors who were supposed to be replaced are sticking around for another year and the, yeah i mean you're you might end up seeing a lot of transfers you might end up seeing uh well, who knows what's going to happen with scholarships I, I haven't seen that article so i'm not sure obviously it doesn't really apply to high school but uh division one athletes if they're granted another year of eligibility are they also granted more scholarship funds or does the team get extra scholarship funds if they've already allocated some to incoming freshmen? I'd love to do a little more digging on that because there's, there are a lot of implications of that. It's great to be looking out for the student athletes. If they were essentially robbed of the season, it's also an opportunity for them to continue school. Maybe they are able to go back to school, get a master's degree, use their fifth year of eligibility and this extra year from the NCAA. Uh, not sure all the details, like I said, but it could be interesting. Yeah, I remember when I was an undergrad at Bowling Green, we had one student athlete on the men's basketball team who was using up his last year of eligibility to start his master's degree work. So, I I mean, that's good for the athletes. Um, it's just... You know, thinking about how teams and organizations are communicating the info, I, I think maybe it's best to kind of take a wait and see approach. I mean, right now we're taking all our directive from, you know, the Ohio governor, the head of health for Ohio. So I'm, I'm a little cautious when I read an article about athletic associations putting plans forward for spring sports and like that. I mean, I don't want to put false hope in people's minds. You know, I just think, uh-oh, time to go out and go to the park or go to the diamond and start yeah. hitting some grounders, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And it depends on the organization here at Hiram. The athletic director has done a great job of communicating with all the coaches. Here's what's going on. He's sending daily updates, any sort of news from NCAA or from our athletic conference or from specific to our college. What are we allowed to do? What we can't 
not do uh, what best practices are in terms of recruiting and uh, thinking about next season. So uh, quick and clear communication is really important. I was just going to say I saw a tweet, and I can't remember what. I think it was the softball coach had posted that the conference coaches held a conference Zoom call or Zoom session yesterday. So it was all the softball coaches of the NCAC were together and chatting it up, which that's good to see there's some uh, collaboration going on within the coaches of the conference. Well, uh, this is Inside the Athlete's Mind. Anything else, Andrew, before we close that, close it down today? No, I don't think so. Just a reminder to everyone, uh, stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. All right. Thank you very much. This is Inside the Athlete's Mind. His name is Andrew White. My name is David Strugel. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more stuff to chat. <laughs>